0: 500 miles is kind of that distance where you could um, get away with pushing through on a little bit of sleep. And one of the posts you'll see like a picture of me just laying laying face down right on the trail um that was actually my first nap for the whole attempt like we were going up a pretty steep and brutal climb and by the time I got to the top of it I was just completely exhausted so I just like handed my pacer my poles took my vest off I was like I need to take like a five minute nap and I just like I just couldn't comprehend moving off the trail I just laid flat down on the trail and took a five minute nap and woke up and felt great for a few hours I, I tried running after I finished the Colorado Trail and like, I just like physically couldn't because like my just like felt like it would burst again.
1: Hey guys welcome to a brand new episode of the Christian Ultra podcast. I was away last week because I was in Greece. Uh, I'm back now with a brand new guest. Today's guest is Michael McKnight. Not Michael Knight from Knight Rider. No this guy is much more badass. It's Michael McKnight. He uh, won the triple crown of 200s back in 2017 and he won the Triple Crown again in 2019. Uh, We're talking about Bigfoot, Tahu and Moab uh, and their race directed by Candace Burt. Uh, Earlier this year, Michael ran 100 miles without eating any food. He was uh, the first guest on my first ever uh, podcast episode. Um, If anyone wants to listen to that, please go back, have a listen. And I'm having him back on now because I asked him to be a guest because uh, Michael just set a new fastest known time on the Colorado Trail so it's a really cool uh, show packed full of awesome stories which include shoes getting stolen, trail napping on the side um, of of the trail and just kind of um, all-out epicness so that's to come but first before I get to that Um, I'd like to just uh, give a shout out to my run coaching. Uh, Guys, I'm an active online run coach. doesn't matter what country you're listening to this in, USA, UK, Japan, anywhere in the world. I coach athletes all over, helping them with their running. Um, I specialise in ultra marathon, so people wanting to uh, run their first 50k, uh, 50 miler, 100 miler. Also, I specialise in FKTs. I'm the record holder, as I said earlier, f- earlier for Britain's longest national trail, the South West Coast Path. Um, and I also help people run their first marathon. I- I've-, I've done over 130 marathons and um, got a lot of experience there, so I can help people to their first one. So uh, yeah, the next thing I'd like to mention is my GoFundMe that I've created. Uh, Guys, if you like this show, go ahead, go onto my website and make a contribution to my GoFundMe. I've created it because next year I'll be going out to the United States of America to go for my second fastest known time attempt on the Appalachian Trail or the Appalachian Trail as they say down south. So this will be my second attempt. I helped set the record uh by pacing my good friend Carol Sabe in 2018 and I'll be going back next year. So um yeah please go and check out my website which is Christianultra.com Christian, Ultra.com. Christian is sparked with a K the Scandinavian way um but just go and check that out in show notes hit the link and one check out my run coaching and two check out my GoFundMe make a contribution all funds raised um 10% of that will go to cancer research um cancer research uk and the rest of that will help fund my expedition out in the united states of america next year so without further ado guys please enjoy my talk with michael mcknight so hey mike welcome back
0: thanks thanks for having me back on i enjoyed chatting with you
1: yeah, yeah, it's good, it's good to have you back. Um, I was, I couldn't believe like uh, you were my first guest. I was so nervous. I think I had a, a double espresso and a beer before I show. I was like, I was so nervous. I'm a bit more um, relaxed now. So, so why don't you go ahead and um describe like basically what the Colorado Trail is and what um, attracted you towards going for that.
0: Yeah, so the Colorado Trail, it's a 485-mile trail um, that goes from either Durango to Denver or d- Denver-Durango, um, whichever d- uh, direction you decide to go. So, yeah, there's an east to west, a west to east. And then also in the about mile 300, a little before 300, um, there's a section where you, can, you get to a junction, basically. Yeah, um, it's like a little loop. In the middle of the trail, where you can either do what's called the Collegiate West Loop or the Collegiate East Loop. And the Collegiate East Loop is actually um, the original route. That's what it was from the beginning. So the Collegiate West Route is kind of a new addition that you can choose to do if you would like. Um, I personally did the Collegiate East Loop, and then I also did Durango to Denver. So 485 miles, I started in Durango, ended in Denver. Um, yeah, the record the what's that? On the East Loop, yeah. Yeah, with the East uh variation. And so the record I went after was set by Scott Jaime. Um he's an old school runner. He's uh he ran for Perlozumi. Um he has some he has a few records if you go to fastest known time, but his record was set in 2013 as eight days and seven hours. Um, um yeah. and so I I originally wanted to go for the collegiate west variation um, which is what Courtney DeWalter went after Um, but the week before I headed out there was a big snowstorm in Colorado and I was I was prepared to do whatever I needed to on the fly but all the through hikers I was so there's a ton of through hikers on this trail like every couple hours I ran into an individual or a group of people who've been out there hiking for weeks and all of them told me to not do the collegiate west route because it's a higher route, so there's going to be more snow up there. So that's why I ended up doing the east route, and you know I ended up getting the FKT in seven days and thirteen hours. Um, so wow, Eighteen so hours. A, um, yeah, Eighteen hours. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, did that answer your question? Yeah. I can't remember what else. It
1: totally answers, and I got a couple of questions from your answer. Um, So, did you actually decide? uh, uh, Do I get this right? That after you'd already started, because of the information um, from the through hikers, you originally intended to go on the the west route, but then you decided to go east because of the information from the through hikers?
0: Well, no. So, I originally planned to east because I figured the west route was going to be too snowy. But also, while I was on the route, I was also out there thinking that I might change my mind and go for the okay so but I didn't change my mind, so that was that was my original plan from the beginning
1: yeah okay so those those guys are good sources of information and it's like yeah. you know what? instant um, instant feedback um, of those guys what's the elevation then so um uh, people have an idea of it's not like a flat run, we're talking about the mountains here.
0: Yeah, so these mountains in Colorado are pretty extreme. (laughs) Um, You know, the reason I picked the route I did Durango to Denver instead of Denver to Durango is Durango, the start of the Colorado Trail, you have the San Juan mountain range, which is where the Hard Rock 100 takes place. And so those mountains are pretty notorious for being very high, very straight up. Um, A lot of times you're above 12,000 feet for a good section of time. so I wanted to get the San Juans out of the way just because of the elevation factor, the altitude factor. Um, One weakness I have is I'm not great at preparing for some of these things that I do, like in terms of like studying up on what I'm going to run into. Um, So I made the mistake of thinking that once I got through the San Juans, I was going to have like 7,000 feet of elevation, like of altitude. That I would be at for the remainder of the trail. Um, yeah. But little did I know that the entire Colorado trail, until you get towards the end in Denver, is above 9,000 feet. And so it's a big difference. Yeah, it's a, it's a big difference. Um, and 9,000 feet, like you barely touch that. The majority of the trail is above 10,000 feet. And so that was kind of a rude awakening in the middle of it. Because as soon as I got out of the San Juan's, I, I was talking to one of my pacers. I was like, man, I thought I was going to be. By like seven thousand feet by now, and he's like, "Uh, you're never gonna hit seven thousand feet well you're like five miles from the finish." <laughs> so, so yeah, it's a it's a very um, high altitude route, and then you gain about eighty thousand feet of elevation throughout the whole four hundred and eighty-five miles. So, there's a good short climbing yeah. for sure.
1: Did you do the calculation that, um, for example, did you say seven days and thirteen hours? No, seven and yeah, thirteen. Yeah. Did you work out what your average mileage and your elevation was per day?
0: Um, elevation, I haven't worked out, but my average mile per day was sixty-seven and some change.
1: Wow! Yeah, that's that's a lot. I mean, yeah, that's impressive. My- and you didn't actually approach it that way, did you? You kind of—I I just went through your Instagram and I watched the entire story. It's pretty good. Um, anyone listening, on it? kind of visually see what michael's talking about go to his instagram page and you can click the colorado trail story and it it shows a a good good lot of um stories on there and you you, um how was your sleep uh because you didn't kind of have big chunks of sleep on the night time sometimes you just went through the night had trail naps and stuff talk about your sleep
0: yeah, so um as you as you said earlier I had Courtney on um a podcast I do earlier and yeah. something that she brought up that I agree with is like 500 miles is kind of that distance where you could um get away with pushing through on a little bit of sleep. Um but any like in in her opinion and I agree with her like anything above that and I guess you could speak to that as well since you went a little bit further than I did on your recent attempt. But um yeah anything like above 500 miles, you should really start looking at getting some good sleep um, every other night, every night, whatever you want to try to do. Um, So for me, I I approached this like trying to go on it with as little sleep as I could while still being able to function. So I ended up getting about five total hours of sleep over the entire seven days. The majority of that being two to five minute naps, just right face down on the trail. yeah, I, I I probably did that probably five I mean this is just a guess but anywhere from like five to ten times a day I had two of those or five to ten times a day I had those two to five minute naps just right on.
1: okay yeah
0: and and would you actually I know some of them you lay
1: down because I saw on your Instagram story um, but because w- I know so you would actually go onto the side of the trail find some comfortable rocks <laughs> and uh, just lay down and just kind of shut your eyes and totally switch off, and then set an alarm. Or your pacer would say, "Okay, let's go."
0: Yeah. Every time I took a nap, I had a pacer with me, <laughs> so that worked out. Uh, smart. Yeah. But I mean, like, yeah. If you look at like on my actual Instagram feed, uh, Ben Light was doing posts for me and stuff while I was out there, and one of the posts you'll see like a picture of me just laying fl- laying face down right on the trail. Um, yeah. That was actually my first nap for the whole attempt like we were going up a pretty steep and brutal climb and by the time I got to the top of it I was just completely exhausted so I just like handed my pacer my poles took my vest off as like, I need to take like a five minute nap and I just like I just couldn't comprehend moving off the trail I just laid flat down on the trail and took a five minute nap and woke up and felt great for a few hours. <laughs> Yeah, it's,
1: it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah, you said about me doing a bit more. I did 630 miles. And so I tried to have a regular sleep at the end of each day, which was about four and a half hours each night. And um, on the last day, which would have been day 10, I just did the whole 110 miles in one push. But I did. Well, OK, I had a 30 minute power nap. But that thirty-minute power nap was so my REMs were so deep it <laughs> felt I felt as refreshed as when I'd woke after the four and a half hour um, sleep. So yeah, I really um, think you guys are right, you and Courtney, about the below five hundred miles. You can act. We don't know. It, I mean, you know, you ran a hundred miles earlier this year, not eating any food. So I think our limits. Uh, we haven't found our limits yet, and you're you're in the process of discovering them with these kind of uh, um, you know, FKTs, it was funny because I asked you, I said, do you have any FKTs in mind earlier on this year? And you said, well, I was fully employed before, but now I'm unemployed due to COVID. I may have the time. <laughs> and now you've gotten got this, uh, uh, this FKT has, h- how is it? Uh, have you, fe- do you feel um, you've changed after getting this? Like, do you feel, how do you feel like after doing this? What, what do you feel like now?
0: Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing, and I'm curious to know how you feel about this after your FKT, um, <clears throat> but, like, the biggest thing I noticed is just, like, how tired I am. Like, I, um, I'm finally, like, I, I took two weeks off from running, which is the most I've taken off in years, um, and then, like, a week or week and a half after that, like, I just felt like a slug on the runs that I was able to do. Um, now I'm finally getting to the point where like I feel like I have a little bit of pop on my runs. Um, but in terms of like sleep-wise, um, for the majority of my life, like I grew up on a dairy farm. Um, when I was employed, I was getting up at 5 a.m. to do my runs before I went to work. Um, so I'm I'm pretty like, I want to say I'm pretty good at like functioning off of five to six hours of sleep. Um since the Colorado trail, like I've been getting upwards to 10, 11 hours of sleep a night. Like I go to bed at 10 and wake up at eight and like I wake up exhausted. Like I don't even feel like I slept that night. So I, I, that's the biggest thing I've noticed is just like, I don't feel like I'm anywhere near caught up on sleep after going a week of just five hours of sleeping. So that's probably the biggest thing I've noticed. And I'm curious to know if you're feeling something similar.
1: Yeah, exactly the same, uh, Michael, you know, my energy levels have been for the, especially the first, say three weeks, I felt like a 95 year old man. Um, you know, and I I tried to go on a few runs even recently and, um, my energy levels out of 10 were probably one, no, sorry, two to three. Yeah, I just felt so subpar and so, so tired. And again, yeah, I'm some nights I've had 10 hours sleep and quite happy with that. So, yeah i think the the lesson it, it, it's unfolding as it goes for me and it's good to speak to you because i think uh as time goes by we start to understand how long it takes because we all know how long it takes to recover from a 100 miler or a marathon but something like this for me and i guess for you is kind of unknown territory you know yeah yeah
0: yeah know, I, I did actually yeah go, sorry go ahead i just say you look at like people who've done like the appalachian shell for example like they they come out of that pretty, like, that's 2,000 miles, so they come out of that pretty wrecked, and I can only imagine how long it takes for them to recover.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I have a little bit of experience with Carol Sabe, because I did, I think, you know, I paced with him on the Appalachian Trail, yeah. he's the current record holder, and shout out to Carol, he also just won bigs overall, um, Oh, nice. I think. Yeah, he won. He ran over like 300 miles. Um, yeah, I in, saw the in, post,
0: I didn't realize that was him that had the Appalachian Trail record, too. Yeah, I, and the Pacific Crest. I mean, it's kind <laughs> of pretty
1: pretty heavyweight, you know? <laughs> but um, yeah, it was funny. Um, me and um, Joe, his uh, kind of, I think it's his brother-in-law and uh, best friend and also crew guy, you know? And uh, Joe said that after he saw Carol after the Appalachian trail, he was, um, he was fat. he put on loads of weight, <laughs> you know, not the Appalachian, the Pacific crest trail, but he, I do not think he went down that route after the AT So, yeah. Uh, have you found yourself eating more than normal or are you still the same?
0: Um, <clears throat> I'm the same. The biggest thing I've noticed with my flight, like, I did the intermittent fasting pretty regularly. And that, that works yeah. for me. Like I only eat between 1 p.m. and 7 p.m. every day. Um, and I've been doing that fairly consistently after the Colorado Trail. Um, the biggest thing I've noticed, and this usually isn't an issue for me, but, you know, with that first podcast that you and I did, I, I do the low-carb, high-fat thing, and I, I'm pretty strict with it. And it's not – I don't view it as a diet anymore. Like, it seems just like it's a part of my life. Like, I enjoy how I eat. But for some reason, yeah. since the Colorado Trail, like, um, my food interest is a little bit different. Like, I don't crave fat as much as I usually do. Like, I've been eating a lot more lean proteins and a little bit of okay. fruit than I'm used to. So, and, you know, carbs yeah. are beneficial for recovery. So, I'm sure it's just what my body needs right now. But just my interest yeah. in food has changed a little bit since Colorado.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And, and I want to go back to the Colorado trail. Um, I haven't f- finished asking, I just go off on a tent. <laughs> um, so y- you, you approached this. Um, I, ate, when I was out on the Southwest coast path, I ate everything and anything, but you didn't, you, um, you ate mostly, um, well, it was low carb. Uh, d- do you want to describe, cause I did see also some of the f- pictures of what you were eating, but do you want to, um, speak about how you approach this nutritionally uh, for people who don't know.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I approached it normally. Um, my brother, he, he's a kitchen manager at a Brazilian steakhouse. Um I read that, man. <laughs> I was able to yeah. use those connections and and he was able to talk to like the general managers and they they sponsored me with like it was like 20 pounds of steak. <laughs> um cool. it was awesome. But they also like, you know, they had a salad bar, so he got me like cucumber salad, I had sushi, um, I had a like I had some good carbs too. There's potatoes, but the the problem was um for some reason I've never had this happen to me. But like halfway into day one, like the majority of my food, especially the food that I was taking with me in between crew spots. Um, so just like the simple bars and, and gels and stuff like that, like none of that sounded appetizing to me. And I just couldn't bring myself to eat any of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. The only thing that I could really bring myself to eat was meat and um, my like gnarly primal kitchen uh, protein and collagen shakes um so, yeah. so i got to the point where like i wasn't eating much in between my crew spots and i was just like loading up on calories at crew spots because i was relying on those calories to get me to the next spot so i probably had about three thousand calories at each crew spot it was brisket it was bacon wrapped steak um and then those protein drinks that i drank um i filled about halfway full of heavy whipping cream and yeah you know that that's that's a couple cups of heavy whipping cream, which is like 1500 calories alone. <laughs> so yeah. I was just getting a ton of like low carb, like fatty calories, at all the cruise spots. And then I wasn't eating too much in between my cruise spots just cause nothing sounded good.
1: <laughs> yeah. That, that, when, when I was out on the Southwest coast path, I had a lot of sweet stuff in between crew points and it was really sunny. And I just really didn't want, I didn't have any gels, but I had, um, i don't know like um, some dried fruits and but I, did, I didn't want anything sweet i've craved i, I wanted salty stuff because it was really sunny as well so as soon as i started having more salty um, i stopped like peeing so much and um, i felt more with it and yeah for me personally i know what you're saying you set out you intend to take a load of stuff and sometimes you find out on the trail it kind of doesn't work you know yeah so uh, gotta adapt yeah, yeah, totally. Was your weight, uh, what was your weight going in and coming out of this? And um, did it change?
0: I I lost like five pounds. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm usually pretty regularly about 172. and um, So I guess it was more like six or seven pounds. But for a few weeks, I was about 164, 165 pretty consistently. And the past three or four days, I'm finally like back to consistently at 172 when I wake up. So that wasn't yeah. terrible.
1: Did you, yeah, did no, I'm you lose messing. a
0: bunch of weight?
1: Yeah, I'm working in kilos so I can convert it five, uh, to, um, 11 pounds. I lost 11 pounds. Wow. In total. So I was, I was burning a lot of body fat, but it works really nice. Um, I was burning about 4,000 calories of body fat a day, maybe a little bit of muscle in there, but, um, yeah I felt good off that. Um, I, if it would have carried on a bit too long, <laughs> I would have had to add more calories because I got down to like six percent body fat, so you can't go too low, you know. So what are
0: you at? Right uh, now?
1: Like,
0: hey, what are you at right now? Are you still eleven pounds off?
1: No, I went back up. um I felt I think within within the first three weeks I gave gained five pounds, six pounds, and now I'm in Greece. Um, i've been eating a ton of greek foods and uh, i haven't even weighed myself but i'm pretty sure it's all back nice (laughs) much much to my disappointment man i was enjoying having abs for a while
0: yeah (laughs) i feel (laughs) you
1: yeah man um hey it's speak about like um the equipment that you used. I I heard that you had twelve pairs of shoes get robbed from you, man. Like, what happened?
0: Yeah, that was probably <laughs> like aside from the sleep deprivation, that was probably like the biggest emotional blow. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was it was the first cruise spot mile twenty that I found out that my shoes had been stolen. Um, we we got to this section. So it's, I, like I said, I started in Durango. Um, so the first twenty miles were like seven to eight thousand feet in altitude. Um, not in game, but like, that's about the altitude that I was at. And then I got to this first cruise spot. And then right after that cruise spot, there was a big climb up to a pass and I was going to be up high for quite a while. So snow was a concern. Um, and I got to that cruise spot. There was a through hiker there that I guess, um, she follows me on Instagram and it just worked out that she got to the cruise spot. She was doing the Colorado trail from Denver to Durango. So she was about to finish. And she was just kind of waiting there for me to get to the cruise spot. And when I got there, she told me that it was very snowy and wet up high. So I had Ben, I told Ben Light, my crew chief, to go and look for my Solomon Alpine shoes. And it's a, it's a shoe that basically has a built-in gaiter around the shoe. It's waterproof. It's meant for snow and keeping your feet dry. So Ben went to get those shoes and came back like two minutes later and was like, Hey, I I can't find the shoes. Where, where did you put them? I was like, Oh, they're, they're in my truck. And he said, no, I looked there a few times. I can't find them. And so I got up, I was barefoot. I was just like, my shoes were off. I was ready to change them. So I I was walking around barefoot looking for them and we checked all the crew vehicles and they were nowhere to be found. (laughs) So I got super flustered. Like
1: yeah, of course.
0: Like the only sh- the shoes that I started out in were brand new. Um, so they weren't broken in at all. And the bag of shoes that I had were all of my like broken in, tried and tried yeah. Solomon shoes. So I was pretty, pretty flustered. And um, Ben could see that. So Ben did a really good job. He was just like, it's like Mike, just.
1: It's, it's not Just a butt in, is Ben the guy with the beard yeah. and the cap on backwards? Yeah, he's a, he looks like a strong crew chief. chief. Yeah. 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 Sorry, carry
0: on. No, it's okay. So he could tell I was flustered, and like he's done a lot of big projects. He did that three hundred mile route with me a couple months ago. Um, a year or two ago, he did the Tahoe two hundred and the Wasatch one hundred in the same weekend. Like he did the Wasatch wow. one hundred, he finished. He chartered a flight, flew to Tahoe, and then did the Tahoe two hundred. Like, oh of gosh! Nice. So he's he's a very like good trail runner. He does really well with prep and planning. So. He could see the frustration and he was just like, he was like, dude, like it's mile 20. You're out here. We're out here. You're obviously not going to quit right now. So just put your shoes on, get to the next spot, and I'll have this figured out for you. And so I did that. I got to the next spot. And he's like, yeah, I went to the hotel because um, we stayed at a hotel the night before. So he went there to see if they happened to like fall out of the truck and the hotel front desk had them. So like, yeah, the hotel didn't have them, but then he showed me his little, um, table like where all the food and stuff was but also on that table there was four boxes of brand new Solomon shoes that that he went and just at the Durango running company so you know it wasn't ideal just because I was doing for the whole 485 miles I was basically breaking in new shoes Um, so my feet were definitely the most sore they've ever been because of that but you know it got me to the finish I I had shoes so it worked out (laughs)
1: Yeah. I mean, come a hundred percent. One of these, um, you know, John Lennon said, uh, what is it? Life happens while you make plans. And, um, well, the other one is, so I got told today, God laughs at men who make plans. But, <laughs> you know, like I think the thing is is that one of these long trail, you know, 500 miles, you've really got to adapt on the fly and, um, and your emotions, if you let them get the better of you, you know, it's the end.
0: Yeah, yeah totally
1: it came over, like you know so you did so well man to
0: head off with one pair of shoes hey, was, and i heard feet got wet as well yeah they got soaking wet and you know obviously i want to think that i'm mentally tough enough that if i was like doing this self-supported that i would have had the guts to keep going but you know who knows like I, I, right now like i know that the main reason i got out of there so quickly and so well as just ben. Ben's calm collected attitude so yeah I owe a lot of getting past that mental hurdle to him um mm. and it's kind of interesting what you learn coming out of it because it's like you know you expect roadblocks but the majority of the roadblocks <laughs> oh you expect are like sore stomach can't hold down food blisters um muscle strains like you never expect your shoes to get stolen so the biggest thing I learned from that is like Next time I do something like this, it's like four pairs of shoes in one bag, four pairs of shoes in another bag. <laughs> They're not all going to go in the same bag anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, 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 I mean, you know, I think it is what it is. The shoes are gone, but it's a testament to how one Ben reacts as, as, as a crew chief mm-hmm. and how he installed confidence in you and two, how you were, you didn't quit and you didn't pull the plug right there and then. Cause um, you could have done no, you know, that would have rattled a lot of people and it didn't rattle you. So kudos, man. Um I, I, I noticed in some of you I I looked up on Strava to see how you're doing and stuff, and um uh you mentioned something like quads back to 90%. So what happened with the quad and um let, let, let talk let us know about that.
0: Yeah. So it was about mile 390. Um, so just a little less than a hundred miles to go. Um, and it's kind of funny. Um, so I'll, I'll tell a story after I tell you what happened to my quad, but, um, basically like my inner quad, um, you know, I don't know what it's called, but that muscle on the inside of your leg that bulges out, like it's a runner's muscle just above your knee um yeah that kind of football is yeah. um muscle yeah, yeah that one <laughs> um that muscle basically just like it felt like it kind of exploded that's like the best way I could do it at, like just like once well it started like feeling a little bit of aggravation and so like I did I don't know if you saw some of the pictures I was doing where I was like holding on to a tree and stretching and stuff like I was I was doing single leg squats um air squats I was like trying to like maintain it um and it held yeah. off for a while, so I felt that aggravation like probably around, like, it was honestly like around mile 150, and so I was able to, like, oh, yeah. I was able to like let it just be not that bad for a couple hundred miles, but then at mile 390 it just felt like it popped and um it hurt a ton, so I ended up taking my Solomon buff off my head and like mm-hmm. kind of like folded it and made it like a really small circle and slid it up my leg just onto that spot and made like kind of a makeshift brace. Mm-hmm. Just like I had to stop like tons of times to readjust it to find a sweet spot. But after yeah. multiple times of adjusting it, like I finally could find sweet spots and it was able to like hold the pain somewhat at bay. Um, okay. so, so basically I just kind of ran with a very inflamed sore quad for a hundred miles. Um, and then when I got home, like, like I, this is probably the most um, like injured I've been. Like, quote injured for for a while, just because like I tried running after I finished the Colorado Trail, and like I just like physically couldn't because like my quad just like felt like it would burst again. So I went and got looked at, and I got diagnosed with a muscle strain. Um, so it took a few weeks for me to be able to like run a little bit without it hurting like I couldn't bend it at all. I had to keep my legs straight. So that was kind of like the biggest issue that I had. And and to take a back step, like the story that I'm- Yeah, what's the story? <laughs> so like you know, this obviously isn't proven. This is just like my suspicion. Um but I do very well avoiding gluten just because from what I've studied it has an inflammatory response. Um so like usually my rule is just like no gluten ever. Um, but at this crew spot, I woke up, it was like early in the morning, we were in Breckenridge area. So it was like kind of a ski resort town. So there was restaurants and stuff. I woke up from a 45 minute nap and my crew is all outside waiting for me to wake up and they were all eating donuts. And when I woke up and saw that, I was like, Ooh, that looks really good. And so I had a donut, which is like my first like source of gluten in a couple years. And it was like. Two hours after I had that donut is when my quad like had that issue. So in my mind, I think it was just like the load of sugar, the load of gluten that my body's not used to, and like the issue that I was having for a couple hundred miles. Like, like I said, I had it at bay, but then that just kind of sent it over the top and just made it inflamed, inflamed, and and then I was just kind of done at that point. But like I said, that's just my theory that's that was my theory as to why that happened <laughs> oh you
1: know like we all gotta have theories and uh it's you know when it's so close and so coincidental you can't help but think hmm i wonder if it was the donut you know but um <laughs> yeah interesting man <laughs> don't eat donuts yeah. on a 500 mile run through the colorado mountains
0: but then yeah um, it's, it's so oh, sorry hey sorry no 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 go ahead i was gonna say then you have people like courtney who i'm so so jealous of who can like eat anything she wants and she could waste me at at these kind of things so it's just funny how different our bodies are
1: yeah yeah and and everything every i think everybody has something that works for them you know yeah I, i don't think you could say oh i'm vegan um everyone in the world should be vegan because it might not work for someone and what works for that other person might not work for you. So everyone's different, you know? And and yeah, Courtney just seems to be able to just run on anything, you know? Like, what well, what's the, um, that car in Back to the Future and they just put rubbish in it yeah. and it just moves? <laughs> the DeLorean? <laughs> the DeLorean or something, yeah. you know? Uh, no, it's funny because that 100 miles, uh, that last 100 miles, you run with a kind of a, a, a bad quad. I had the same thing on the Southwest Coast path. And I've done a couple of interviews, and I ran a hundred miles with a reduced range of movement in my right quad. Um, So I was in, yeah, I didn't quit. I just carried on. And um, there's someone I met afterwards who said to me, he was in the army, and he knows Royal Marines, and Royal Marines have this thing called battle fitness, and uh, he's so. It, it, the battle fitness is the ability to move forward whilst injured, you know, because you're in a volatile situation. Okay. So you were not, and I were not in volatile situations. However, <laughs> we got battle fitness, you know,
0: <laughs> Yeah, um, it's like, once you hit that finish, it's like, like you can't think of having to go further. It's like, Oh, my quad is done. Perfect timing. But if you had
1: to you carried across the road, yeah. <laughs> at the end I I couldn't cross the road and I just ran 630 miles (laughs) oh man um yeah so uh Solomon you're Solomon you're you're you use Solomon um shoes and clothes so you've recently just um I think it was January you kind of have you signed up a deal with him or something Mm yeah nice one and um How do you go through the whole, and I noticed on your Strava on gear, you've got like loads of pairs of different Solomons. So are they good for your foot? Is your foot like a um, a broad foot or, you know, because often I hear people say, oh, Solomons are quite um, fitted and tight Mm -hmm. uh, across the, is is yours a certain shape foot or?
0: You know, like I've, I've ran an ultra for the past four years. And they're pretty known to be um they say foot shape. Um yeah, but you know, to just the common world they call them wider shoes. Um mm-hmm. so like you know, I've spent the past four years thinking that I have a really wide foot just because of how well all shoes fit, fit me Um and then I tried Solomon's and like you know, I I went up half a size. Um yeah. and like they fit fine. Like I I still like it, the Colorado shell, for example um you know i'll admit like going into the colorado trail i was slightly nervous because one this is the furthest distance i w- had ever tried to run um and two yeah. it was my gonna be my furthest distance in solomon so naturally you know i was wondering if blisters were gonna be an issue but you know i got no blisters for the whole colorado trail none at all um cool. so yeah like the they are more narrow but i found that going up half a size like they fit really fine and comfortably and And to be honest, like the thing I've noticed, um, like the biggest benefit I've noticed with Solomon and this just might be a benefit for me. um, But like, I am somewhat timid on downhill running um, just because I don't want to trip and fall and hurt myself. (laughs) Um, But I've noticed just like having a shoe that fits my foot, like a little bit better that hugs it a little bit better. And then even has a little bit of drop to help um, with your foot placement. Like, you know, my confidence level in running downhill has gone up quite a bit ever since getting a shoe that hugs my foot a little bit better.
1: Yeah, that would make sense. It's like a kind of a precision fit, you know, people who climb the shoe um, is a uh, precision fit on their foot so they can feel confident um, with foot placements. And, you know, to some extent, I guess, because a lot of, you know, like the professional athletes who wear Solomon, it's that, you precip- um, that fit to be able to like fly down the hills and stuff. So do you, when you say half the size above, because when I fit my shoes or I'm speaking to my run coaching clients about fitting their shoes, I always say to have, you know, at least a centimeter in between the inside of the front of the shoe and your longest toe. Do you make sure you've got a gap in between all your toes and the front of the inside of the shoe?
0: Yeah. So like when I worked for ultra, I went to all the trade shows and talked about the shoes and um try to get buyers and every time somebody would try a shoe i the thing i would always do is rec- recommend a thumb width yeah so i i so that's kind of my way that i measure i find my longest toe and and put on mm-hmm. um, between my longest toe and the top of the shoe and if there's a thumb width yeah. then that's usually what i go for
1: yeah that's that's a good yeah anyone listening that's a good way to um when i was younger i used to think uh, the smaller shoes look better so i used to have my toes bunched up on the inside <laughs> No, and and for years I actually had a bit of dead skin on my left uh, middle toe because my left foot is slightly bigger. And after when I started fitting my shoes properly, that dead skin on on my toe went away because it wasn't rubbing. So yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I had it for years. It's kind of crazy. Um, yeah, let's talk about um, running and hiking and a little kit. I noticed you used lucky poles as well. And um, how much? Did you have a system like, would you, would you run everything down and flat and hike everything up and jog the gentle inclines? What was your approach to tackling? Cause you're constantly going up and down.
0: Yeah, that was my approach when I started. Um, but about middle, about halfway through towards the end, like, I, I did try to run some uphills as well. Um, yeah. I mean, I basically just ran by according to how I felt like I, I walked some downhills even, um, just, just according to how I felt. So I didn't really have like a tried and true type of system for that. Um, the interesting thing that I noticed though, about my lucky pulls, um, so I started out with them and the altitude was just like really getting to me. Like I felt super, super exhausted pretty early on. And it was the end of the second night or sorry, the end of the second day. So it was still daylight, um, I I did an experiment where, like, I, I folded my poles up and put them in my pack and started running without my poles. Um, and I noticed – so I I ended up doing the majority – you must have just seen a bunch of photos of me at the start because the majority of the, the trail um, from about mile 200 to the finish, I didn't use poles because I noticed that I was using my poles kind of as, like – not crutches, but, like – I was tired, so having the poles in my hand made it easier to, like, kind of lean on them and just, like, just kind of, like, throw my body and just really go slow. But as soon as, like, I got rid of the poles, like, my back straightened up. I was, like, able to, like, run with my arms up here. So I was a lot more efficient without my pulls, and I felt less tired because I didn't have my poles to to lean on. It's kind of weird. So. Yeah. so I ended up not using poles. <laughs> <pulls. laughs>
1: No, I definitely appreciate that. Uh, when I was on the Southwest Coast path, almost the poles are a bit of an excuse to hike sometimes, yeah. you know, whereas if you don't have them, and also, you know, the thought process from running, let's say um, you've just run some flat, you're holding the poles or the, and then you get to uh, climb, you know, okay, so for me, I would I would unclip them and pull them out and climb, but it's that thought process and that action of, I've got to take my poles out now. I've got to unfold them, then I've got to clip in, now i got to go up and then you get to the top and it might not be as big a climb as you expected over here in the UK. You know, I mean, over there, you can, I know you guys got much bigger mountains, but for me, I'd get to the top and like, ah, oh, now I go for my poles of ray <laughs> again, you know, and, and it's this, it, it these mental decisions on these long trails do tie you out, I find. You yeah. Know? It's uh, funny. <laughs> so, so I know you were out there and you were supported. How many, um, members were in the support team and what were their roles
0: yeah so ben was my crew chief um starting out uh, my buddy dax came for a couple of days um he did the part of the 300 mile route that ben and i did a couple months ago um dax had a buddy who i met before but didn't really know that well but his name was carrie um i had somebody i coached named garrett was there somebody named ryan reached out over instagram and came so the first few days, there was a good group of about five to six people. Um, and, I mean, Ben. Ben's main role, like, Ben only paced me twice. Um, his main role was just to, like, get to the spot to spot to spot and just to make sure all the food was set up and ready to go. Like, he wanted that role. So, Ben, Ben's role was crew chief, and then everybody else, like, helped Ben where they needed to, but they paced me um, out of the whole – 485 miles I had a pacer for all but two segments um one of them being the very first segment so I had pacers the majority of it um random people along the trail who I'd never met before showed up um friends that I've made that like lived in Denver showed up Uh, my wife came about Thursday and was there till the finish and she actually paced me for the last segment which was a surprise and really cool because um, that was like the furthest my wife had ever ran. <laughs> um, so she did 16 yeah. mile segment with me. And so, yeah, I just, I had a bunch of like friends and random people that just kind of showed up throughout the whole process and, and paced me and crewed me and it was, it was great. <laughs> um, the yeah. really cool surprise, like, you know, even though i run for solomon now like i still have a bunch of friends who are at ultra and um the founder golden harper because you know ultra was relocated to denver um
1: yeah that was one of the reasons i think you left originally yeah no something like that yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah. i moved to denver with ultra only last yeah that's Yeah. yeah um but then i moved back to utah when i quit so but anyway golden showed up golden harper the founder um as I got closer to Denver, and he did um, a few hours with me. So, you know, even though I'm with Solomon, I'm still friends with a lot of the Ultra crews. So it's just really fun to see a bunch of faces that were in Denver that I hadn't been able to see for about a year since I moved back.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, it just shows that it doesn't matter what kind of brand you have when you close friends of friends, you know, that's yeah. what's important. Totally. Um, and, and, and so what kind of um, crew vehicle did, uh, um Ben have um was it a van or a um a camper or something what 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 did he have his setup
0: yeah so a company reached out and offered an rv um which i was gonna do but after talking to courtney sounds like she rarely used her rv um when she did it just because rv couldn't make it to a lot of the spots so what we ended up doing was ben has this big um like a four-wheel drive it's not a sprinter van Um, it's just like a normal 15 passenger style van that you can take seats out of and it has some beefy four-wheel drive tires Uh, so he had that van he had one of those um, pop-up tents on top of the van Um, yeah and then I had my four-wheel drive pickup truck which also had a pop-up tent Um, and you know I'll do a quick little plug, like AirTop tents. They sent me one of those to use for the thing, which was super nice of them. Like even though yes. I spent the majority of my time sleeping on the trail, like these, these pop-up tents have like a built-in memory foam mattress. So even, oh, wow. <laughs> even though it wasn't an RV, like it was still pretty plush and comfortable. So we had two of those pop-up tents. Um, But yeah, like anybody that's thinking of doing the Colorado show supported like four wheel drive is a must because the majority of those sections are very, very hard to get to if you don't have like a four-wheel drive high clearance vehicle. So those are the two yeah. vehicles that we had. Um, all the other crew members, like somebody had like a Prius and stuff like that. So like Ben and them had to figure out spots where people could drop their non four-wheel drive vehicles off and they would all hop in the van or the pickup and then go to the section together. So those are the two main vehicles that we had. So you had Ben,
1: who was the crew chief, and then was there someone else who was with you from start to finish as well, driving yours?
0: So, um, you know, pacers and stuff, people that weren't pacing took turns driving my truck. Um, But I also had somebody there named Matt Van Horn. So there's actually going to be a video coming out in a couple months, or a month to a couple months. Um, But I had a guy out there who was filming the whole thing, and um, he ended up driving my truck a couple times, like if a pacer couldn't, but...
1: Yeah. So so it sounds like everyone has to kind of just chip in and do whatever needs doing, (laughs) you know, to get you to the the finish line, um, you know, in record time and stuff like that. Yeah. What were some of the, um, I had a lot of um, pretty amazing moments. Uh, One time I I saw a really slow um, meteorite burn up across the earth's atmosphere and I looked up and I thought wow that's a really fast plane and then I looked again I was like no that's a really slow shooting start and it just I was just like that's insane I loved it and then I saw some awesome wildlife and stuff did you have or yeah of course you did what were your fantastic moments
0: just like cool things that I saw
1: yeah yeah what cool things did you see um you know, we, well, what cool feelings did you have, you know, yeah. or, or interactions with people? It doesn't need to be something you saw.
0: I mean, we didn't see a lot of wildlife. We saw a couple of moose, which is really cool. Um, that's cool. The I, the thing that's really cool about the Colorado show, like I said, is there's just, there's so many through hikers. So we stopped and had a lot of conversations, um, with people. Like it, it's pretty funny. Like you see somebody coming up and, usually, like, you can predict what they're going to say, and it's usually always, like, hey, what segment did you start at this morning? What segment you you going to, to tonight? And, like, you know, they share theirs, and usually, we would say something like, oh, we started in Durango, and we're just going straight to Denver, and they, like, had to, like, clarify what we meant by that, that we we're just trying <laughs> to do it in one push, so, you know, just seeing all, like, the cool people out there, and, like, some of those people, like, like I said, the week before I started, there was that big snowstorm. (laughs) And like some of, like, the majority of the people that I ran into, um, they either had to, like, hike off the Colorado Trail, like, to Leadville or something, and, like, get a hotel for a few nights because of how much snow fell. And, like, some people just flat out set up a tent and, like, saw some pictures where, like, snow was halfway up their tent. (laughs) So, like, a lot of those people, like, toughed out some pretty rugged conditions. Um, and like I said, they've been out there for weeks. So, you know, they, they obviously were like amazed at what we were doing, but like, I'm like, I'm more amazed at what they're doing because that's a long time to be out there. That's a lot of gear to carry. That's a lot of weather to factor in. So it's just really cool meeting all the different kinds of people and hearing their stories. Um, the craziest thing though, I I wanted to ask you if you experienced this at all. Um, but I know Courtney experienced it. Um, this was my first, so I, hallucinations are obviously a thing for these long distance multi-day adventures. Um, okay. And I had hallucinations, but another thing I experienced, which was new to me, was I had some really severe deja vu. Did you experience that when you were out there? Um, um, I, I,
1: It was weird. I was in this kind of computer game. It wasn't a visual Um i was collecting points and going over the mountain so it was a different it wasn't a deja vu it wasn't a hidden hallucination but it was definitely something out of this world kind of thing reality yeah totally different reality yeah yeah
0: yeah it's so crazy that happens because like for the final two days so like day five to day seven um like i had the most intense deja vu where i was just like so convinced that everything that we were doing had already happened, the style that it was happening and the people that I was with, like I was convinced that it happened before. Um, and then the craziest thing, like the final six miles of the Colorado trail is this really nice, like two lane groomed out dirt road, like it's called Waterton Canyon. So it's very, very smooth, very, very gradual. We're running down this at night and, I wish I would have told my wife, so we're not having this like playful argument right now. She doesn't believe me. She's telling me so. So basically, in my head, I was like, I've done this. I've done this with my wife Sarah, and approximately like 20 minutes, four guys are gonna come around a corner, four guys I've never yeah. met, and they're gonna pace us to the finish. And that's what happened. Four guys showed up and paced us to the finish. And I told my wife that, and she's like. She's like, why don't you tell me that if you really thought that? I was like, I don't know. I was just too tired to tell you. And she, she's telling me the way deja vu works is you're just so tired that your brain processes things super, super slow. So she's telling yeah. me that I saw the runners coming, but in my head yeah. I predicted that they were coming. Like, that's what she's telling me. So yeah. I wish I would have said something, but obviously I didn't predict it. But in my head I was just convinced that I predicted it for, for a while. <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's some
1: pretty, yeah, I mean, I've never experienced what I experienced in that, like it's a thousand kilometers, what I did all, you know, And I I did experience some other stuff that I've never experienced in life, just some, yeah, just not everyday kind of stuff, I mean, but I, I there was nothing scary for me, I didn't see any scary faces or didn't see the, the rocks didn't turn into demons or anything, but <laughs> In fact, I just kind of enjoyed what was happening and I kind of went with it and and it was dreamy and 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 actually what was happening was when I was moving forward, I was in a really rocky technical section, but I just felt like I was running on smooth tarmac while this was happening. And so it's pretty yeah, it's pretty weird stuff. But yeah, it's a shame you didn't say to your wife, man, because you could you, you could say I and and
0: also recorded it like you know what I mean? Like, look, here's the recording. <laughs> i (laughs) I mentioned that to courtney and like um the way i took it is like she actually was predicting stuff because she told me like because we're talking about our deja vu experiences and she told me that her crew made the comment to her like man we should go get some Powerballs or something like that and like really make use of your predictive skills so like i want to say that courtney like actually told her crew some stuff because I, you know, why else would they say that to her while she is out there racing? But Courtney's deja—you'll have to go. I think it's on Courtney's Instagram. But Jamel Curry was out there recording a lot of it, and there's a, a post in her feed where Jamel's recording Courtney just sitting on the trail, and like, talking about her deja vu. Like she she had it pretty bad as well. So if you ever if you're bored, go check that out.
1: No, even if I'm not bored, I think that'll be quite interesting to have a look at for sure. Um, well, I guess what's, you know, I mean, I, I did actually notice when uh, going back a little bit into the discussion of and topic of recovery, um, that I think I noticed the first two miles you ran were like seven minute miles. Have I got that right on your Strava or was that a bike ride or is Strava not put the right on, or have I just made a mistake? I think within two or three weeks, you ran two miles of flat straight out <laughs> and back.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was my, that was my first run that I was able to do since the Colorado trail. Like it was almost, yeah. Like a, it was like the, almost a night and day difference For like the day before, like I could hardly walk. I was like, man, the squat yeah. is not getting better. And then the next day, midday, I was like walking really well. And like, I, I like did a squat and it didn't really hurt. So I was like, huh, like something happened like almost overnight. So I threw on my shoes and tried to go for a two mile run and, I, it was really tight towards the end, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was like seven forty or something, I think.
1: Yeah, something like that. But
0: that was like, that was like the last time I did that kind of pace for a couple. Times. I know it was all slow after that. <laughs> <Yeah>. I saw. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh man. Um. So, I mean, yeah. Congratulations on what you did. Um. And whatever you know you just keep on seem to be doing awesome shit <laughs> you know um what I, that's i think that's the first time i've sworn in 21 episodes maybe <laughs> i'll edit it out <laughs> um what's i i don't really want to yeah so what is your approach to the recovery how are you gonna how i so i i think you're gonna go by feel um based on my prediction here um are you kind of still feeling things out
0: yeah totally I'm kind of at the point, like I'd say, like on a regular week, I'm doing about an hour and a half to two hour runs Monday through Friday, and then Saturday is usually like a four or five hour run. Right now, I'm just kind of like, I'm still doing it by feel. So, like, if I feel like doing 30 minutes today, I'll do that. But right now, I'm consistently able to do about an hour a day, which I'm okay with. Yeah. So I'm doing about an hour a day right now, and then, you know, if I feel like I do this weekend like so how I feel right now if I feel that way this weekend then I'm going to try to do about a 20 mile run and see how I feel but but yeah it's mostly by feel and especially since any week now Utah's going to start getting snow so it's really it's really my off season anyway so um this is when my mileage starts to go down so the timing worked out perfect and yeah, I'm just going to do it by feel, but I, I am going to still try and do like a longer run this weekend and see how I feel. But yeah, like I said, there's yeah. that word again, feel, do it by feel.
1: <laughs> yeah, and no, it's good. I think it's the best way um, for sure. When I was on um, the Appalachian Trail with Carol Sabe, I tried to work out a, um, a pattern for his running and hiking, and there was no pattern. He sometimes hiked downhill, he sometimes ran uphill. Um, so it just, I mean, without a question, that's feel, you know, he wasn't going by any rules. Now I'm going downhill. Now I need to run. You know, it was, Oh, I'm checking my phone out. So I'm
0: going to hike, you know? So yeah. Yeah. It's the best way. You might um, to, um, you, you can choose to edit this out if you want, but, um, <laughs> I'm like 90 to 95% sure. I'm going to go after that next year. So if it's cool, okay. I might have you connect me with him sometime so I can, pick his brain if he's okay with that hey man listen you go, i'll
1: no worry i mean i'm going after it as well it's uh it's been yeah i had a failed attempt last year i was meant to go this year um and i'm gonna go after it next year as well so um Hi. we should uh talk about that uh we can we can have a whole conversation about that are you doing <laughs> north yeah totally yeah i'm going northbound yeah awesome, awesome. and you too as well
0: yeah maybe maybe i'll switch it up and we can like meet in the middle and give a high five and then
1: i know stick with your original plan do what you're going to do and and i mean realistically because i'm going northbound because it means so much for me to finish at katahdin uh-huh. i've visualized it over and over and if i started at katahdin i'd be at the end already you know so there's so many reasons um so yeah, I mean if you if you're you are gonna go after it, then obviously your reasons for what direction you go need to be really strong, you
0: know? Um, and, and at the same s- time, maybe you just go by feel, switch it round. <laughs> I was gonna say right now it's only just that I mean that's the fastest that's the fastest F, like the the time for south to north is like the fastest overall time, right? Yeah. Carol has
1: 41 days, seven hours and 39 minutes. And that's an average of 53 miles per day yeah. with 11,600, um, feet. Um, it's yeah, time.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't have really strong connections for going South to North. I just uh, seem like the best. Yeah. So
1: I can, yeah, uh, no, I'll definitely, I mean, I can, for sure. I'll, um, I'll reach out to Carol and, and tell him that, um, yeah, you, you may contact him, and then I'll connect you guys up.
0: Man, that's exciting. I for, I, now that you mentioned that, when we did our first episode together, I remember you telling me that now, but I just forgot it until recently.
1: Yeah, I think the thing was, the reason I didn't go this year is because of um, not being able to fly to America. So I looked around, I was like, oh, okay, well, what's the longest trail in my country? Oh, it's the Southwest Coast path. Oh, I'll go and do that. So I did that instead. And um, got the record for that which I'm stoked about to be honest and really pleased and proud of and it was a great experience so yeah so we're gonna we're gonna both we're not really going up against each other next year we're going up against Carol because that's who has the record and um, yeah it's a it's a pretty awesome one hey let's let's connect outside of the podcast anyway and we can talk about that okay, as sounds well.
0: sounds good <laughs> <laughs> so I don't need to ask you what's next then <laughs> Well, like I said, it's just like 90 to 95%. So there's there's a small percentage yeah. that it's not going to happen.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope it does. it would it, be pretty cool. I think the more people go for these things, uh, the more exciting it is for the people doing it and everyone watching and stuff. Totally. Yeah, that's cool. All right, I'm not gonna edit it out. I don't even edit these things. I think my last episode, I had um, a run, a run called Damian Hall, and someone knocked the door. I <laughs> got the talk. <door>. Oh, really? <laughs> I I, just, I leave it in. It's raw, unedited, and it's real, man. There's no. You know, I, I think I edited the first ones, and it takes me like three hours. And I'm like, just send it out.
0: Yeah, you know. that's how
1: I am. Um, I don't edit man. mine either. <laughs> yeah, man. Keep it, keep it, just raw. Yeah. Do you want to shout out any? Um, Again, I said this last time, I think you, someone who inspires you the most, and you said your wife, um, it's probably, I don't need to be such a deep and meaningful question, but do you want to shout out anyone like sponsors or people who've, uh, you know, do you want to give a shout out to anybody?
0: Um, I mean, yeah, the biggest person, I I mean, aside from my wife, because, you know, my wife and Ben they're like the two most helpful people for me in like actually getting out there and doing this because they're always screwing me or pacing me. But I mean, in terms of like, just getting me ready for these things, Jeff Browning, he's my coach. Um, and you know, this year has been kind of hard because I'd, I lost my job and, you know, I still made it a point with my budget to have him as my coach. So um, he, he's done a lot of great things and, and helping me recover and and prepare for these, these longer efforts. Um, tune in my diet yeah. since we do a similar diet. So jeff is definitely somebody that you know i plan on looking up to and and asking for advice for quite a while
1: okay guys that's it it's a wrap thanks so much for listening to this episode of the podcast guys um i'm gonna move to every two weeks because every week i think was a little bit much and i found myself rushing trying to find a guest trying to edit trying to release. So by doing a fortnightly release of episodes, it'll just allow me to spend a little bit more time in uh, pre and post production of this thing. Um, I'm really excited about the next guest coming onto the show. His name is Warren Doyle and he's the godfather of the Appalachian Trail. He's completed that thing almost 20 times. Almost 20 times. That's crazy. He also um, crewed uh, the fastest supported northbound female. Liz and Joss. if you guys want to go back to my previous episodes with Liz and Joss, it's a two part um, episode series um, and you'll learn all about Liz uh, in preparation for uh, Warren who's going to be the next guest so as I said before please do go ahead visit my website uh, go and uh, contribute to the GoFundMe help get me to America next year and also check out my run coaching also I'm offering actually rewards for my uh, GoFundMe. So I'm not just uh, asking for something, for nothing. In return, I am offering some uh, levels of run coaching. So please go and check that out. And in the meantime, happy trails.